all here at Faith Baptist Church worshiping our Lord this morning. Um, we are pressing on in our series that we started back in, uh, in January uh, as we look at the statements from our statement of faith and ask the question, what is it that we believe and why do we believe it? Why do we believe it? We are coming to kind of the final part of what is essentially a little mini-series um, in the middle of this uh, based on the doctrine of the Trinity. And so we looked at the Trinity as a whole. We looked at God the Father. We looked at God the Son last week. And today we're looking at the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So as we get ready to begin, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles and turn to John 16 and turn to uh, our passage of Scripture today that uh, will hopefully inform um, what it is we're talking about today. Uh, because if it doesn't, then I'm just giving you my own thoughts and, and things, right? And you don't want my own thoughts on who the Holy Spirit is because I'd probably confuse you uh, even more than probably what I'll do today. So. <laughs> John 16, we're going to be looking at verses 5 to 15. So go ahead and find that, and let's go ahead and read that together. All right. John writes the words of Jesus here. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I will tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. You cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. Father, we we have just opened up your word and we look to it today, Lord, for instruction. Father, help us to see you and to see um, your nature uh, clearer today. Lord, let us just, uh, uh, just embrace uh, Holy Spirit, Father, as he has just empowered us, um, Lord, to salvation, to good works. Father, I just pray that we just, uh, we just see you uh, fuller and bigger and more richly, Lord, today than we have before when we walked in. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 All right, we are looking at this. Uh, we are looking at this series right now, asking these questions of what it is we believe and why we believe them. Because, as members of Faith Baptist Church, if you're a member here, you've looked at that uh, statement, and part of uh, becoming a member here was saying, "Yes, I uh, affirm the things that are in this statement to be true. That I believe these things uh, are true, and that uh, that is a part of covenanting here." with us is agreeing with that statement of faith, right? And I think it's important for us right now to look at that, look at that statement of faith as we move into this next phase of life for Faith Baptist Church to remind ourselves of what we believe and what this message is that we gather around and take out to the world, but then also to understand why we believe it because we want to have a reason for the hope that's within us. We don't want to just sit there and say uh, nice sounding things or crazy sounding things or, or just things in general 
um, for no reason, but we want to sit there and stand on something that is sure, something that has a real foundation behind it, and we know that foundation is God's Word. It's equally important for us to examine these things, right? Because um, our theology, it sits there and it has implications for how we live our lives. I was listening to a sermon recently from the church I used to go to back in Rome, Georgia, and our pastor there made a statement. He said, we're all theologians. Everyone's a theologian because we all have thoughts and ideas and beliefs about who God is. The key for us is are we a good theologian or a bad theologian? Because everyone is. Atheists are theologians. They just have a bad theology. We're here today to be good theologians, and as we look in the Bible, this book that is God's revelation of Himself, we want to see the truth of who God is and build an understanding of His nature that is more than merely what we think is true about God. Because when our thoughts about who God is don't align with who He has revealed Himself to be, we end up putting into practice a faith that doesn't imitate our Savior, that doesn't lead us to conform to Christ, and it causes nothing but confusion. Along these lines, there was a funny story I read this week as I was getting ready for this sermon. It was uh, uh, from a book by a pastor in North Carolina named J.D. Greer and his book, Jesus Continued, about what it looks like when we look for the Holy Spirit in the wrong ways. This was this is his story, his words. He said, a friend once told me about a Christian singer he knew who rented a recording studio. After an extensive setup and sound check, she began performing her first song, the sound technician thought it sounded great, but about halfway through the first verse, she stopped abruptly, threw up her hands and said, it's no use, turn it off, he's not here. Him, she said, him, the Holy Spirit, his presence, it's missing. So she called a few friends into the studio and they, commanded, they commenced laying hands on various pieces of equipment, praying for God's presence and dabbing the equipment with oil. After a few minutes, she began singing again, and about 30 seconds in, she said, stop, He's not here. Let's pray again. Another 15 minutes of session of walking about the room, anointing, shouting, muttering incantations. Again, she started and she stopped. And again, in came the prayer posse. By this time, the sound tech was getting annoyed. His equipment was getting greasy. As she began recording for the fourth time, though, he noticed the reverb on her monitor was turned off. So he reached down, turned it up, at which point she put her hands in the air and began to say, Hallelujah! There he is! The sound tech simply did not have the heart to tell her, Sorry, ma'am, that's actually the reverb. See, our things we think about, the Holy Spirit will inform our practice. It's going to inform our faith, and it's going to inform the way we live our lives. As we look at, or we finish this brief look at the Trinity today, and we examine what we say we believe about the Holy Spirit we do have to admit we're dealing with a topic that our human brains ultimately can't fully comprehend in its fullness, and that's okay, because as we see in our Bibles and as we've talked about amongst ourselves the last few weeks in community groups, God is not like man. God's ways are not our ways, and we are okay with God being something that we get to ponder in awe and reverence. When I come to something about His nature that I don't have an exact analogy or a picture that I can represent it with in my what is ultimately a pitiful human experience. And we can accept that to be true, but at the same time, I don't think we can just throw up our hands and just say, I guess we'll never know. Let's just be satisfied in the mystery, and let's just accept whatever kind of crazy things that people will say about the Holy Spirit and who He is and what He does in our lives. Amen? 
There were things God was re- revealed about Himself and about His nature as the person of the Holy Spirit. And that is what we're going to dig into today here. That third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So we've got it on the screen right now too. Uh, our statement of faith. This is what our statement of faith uh, says we confess and we believe about the Holy Spirit. It says, We believe in the Holy Spirit who came forth from the Father and the Son to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and to regenerate, re- regenerate, sanctify, and empower all who believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that the Holy Spirit indwells every believer in Christ and that He is an abiding helper, teacher, and guide. I think out of our text today that we read in John 16 and from our statement of faith, we see what our main idea for today is going to be. We can click over to the next slide for me, Jerry. That'd be great. This main idea that we can see and that we can cling to and hold on to and ponder as we go is that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God, has been sent forth from the Father to testify of the work of salvation and to fill all believers with the presence of God. That is, if I took everything we're going to talk about in a nutshell today, that's what we're looking at right now, and hopefully that's what, that's what we see in our text and what we see in our statement of faith. That always leads us to that second question, right? This is our idea, this is what we're talking about, but why? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Why do we need to understand how He works and what He does in our lives? And that's that second statement right there too for us, is because He empowers Christians. He empowers us to turn from the world and turn to God. And He brings from that, He brings comfort and He brings sanctification as we strive to live to conform to Christ the way Scripture tells us to. That's who we strive to live and be like, is to be like Jesus, our Savior. And the Holy Spirit works in the lives of believers to see us come to that end. I said it just a minute ago, that our theology matters, right? And there's probably not a better example of that than when we get to what we think about the Holy Spirit. Because there are all kinds of crazy things out there that people try to attribute to His work. And so right now we need to look at our Bibles to know Him for who He truly is and how He works in our lives. It's the difference between being someone like you see on TV who crawls around on the floor and barks like a dog or commanding the Holy Spirit to move by kicking someone in the face and claiming healing from that. That's a real thing. I didn't make that up. That's a real thing. It's the difference between being like that and being tossed to and fro by what the world says about something and having the Spirit and being someone that has the Spirit working to convict and to bring about repentance and to bring joy and to bring peace that surpasses all understanding into the lives of Christians. Those are two very different things. And one of those, to me, sounds a whole lot better than the other, right? I don't want to kick anyone in the face. That's not going to bring healing for anybody. But I do want to hopefully bring something to you that's going to convict us of our sin, that's going to help us see God as holy and righteous and just, to bring joy and peace knowing the salvation that we have in Jesus. That's what I want to bring. And I think that's so much better. That's so much better when we see that that is who the Holy Spirit truly is. Like the slide says, He is the person we are talking about, the third person of this triune God. You can go ahead and click on to the next slide for me, Jerry. This kind of gets us to our first point that we're here, right? This third person of the triune God. Point number one there is that the Holy Spirit is He. The Holy Spirit is not it. 
When we say the Holy Spirit is a person, we don't mean person like we think of ourselves with a body of flesh, right? We mean that He is a distinct being, meaning that Holy Spirit is God, but He is not God the Father, and He is not God the Son, and He has a unique role in this triune God, right? This one God in three persons. And He has unique characteristics that He uses to work to accomplish what He's been tasked with accomplishing. We say this as we start to make sure and reiterate that the Holy Spirit is not some kind of impersonal force. When we say Holy Spirit, we are not talking, we are, we are not talking about just sort of some generic spirit that God sends forth, right? This is a unique person of the triune God and not a manifestation of the Father nor a manifestation of the Son. This is His own person who is sent forth from the Father and from the Son. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But like the historic confessions uh, pronounce, the Father is not the Son or the Holy Spirit, the Son is not the Father or the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father or the Son. This concept of a triune God, that there is one God eternally existing as three persons, is very unique to the Christian faith. And it becomes a dividing line for Christians It becomes a dividing line uh, from other religions and from cults, many of whom will claim to follow or worship or respect Jesus as some kind of prophet. The first thing that we have to remember about the Holy Spirit, though, is, is that first point, is that He is a He and not an It. He is a He and not an It. This is an essential element of the Christian faith. And sometimes it seems like it may not be necessary for us to understand, right? And maybe think, well, I, I get it, okay, but... That's good for me, you know. But again, we said that there's consequences from strain to what the Bible teaches us and what this true doctrine is. And so often, so often, especially we see it in, in, uh, in other religions and in cults, we see people being taken captive to a false gospel of works righteousness. When we miss that out, when we miss the role of the Holy Spirit and what He does in our life, it's so easy to descend off into myths of works righteousness, that Christ has not won our salvation, and the Holy Spirit is not guaranteeing the assurance of that. We start looking for other ways to find assurance, don't we? So we can't sit there and just brush this off as something that's not important, that we, we sit there and just say, ah, I get it, but I'm, you know, I'm not too worried about it. It's important for us. It's good for us. It's good for us to think about. It's good for us to ponder It's good for us to remember because the Holy Spirit uses that to encourage us and to assure us of our salvation that we have in Jesus. We touched on that three weeks ago a little bit, right? So we won't go too much more into uh, detail on specifically the elements of the Trinity. But I think any sermon touching on the topic of the Holy Spirit needs to start by stressing the personhood of this being of the triune God of the Christian faith. We have to start by understanding, not just because of anything, but we see Jesus say it in John. He doesn't just say, it will come. He says, he will come. We see it stressed over and over again. These are the words of Jesus. So we have to understand and we have to see that he is a he, he is not an it. And that's great hope and encouragement for us too that we're going to see later as well. This is not something that Christians have made up in modern times. But it's something we see in types and shadows of the Old Testament. 
That's point uh, B right there. He's eternal God with God the Father and the Son. The biblical scholar B.B. Warfield said of the Trinity in the Old Testament that it is a doctrine that is richly furnished but dimly lighted. His statement meaning that the pieces are there. If we read our Old Testament, we see the Spirit, we see the Son, we see the Father, we see all three together. We see them working, working the same way the New Testament claims they do. So everything's in place, but the light is dimmed down, so it's faint, and we have to look for it. And it has to be illuminated, ultimately, by the revelation that we have from God in the New Testament. This is the light that we have to see the full picture of the nature of God and how these elements come together. And Jesus is the one who brought us that light. Amen? A couple quick examples of the Old Testament where we see the Spirit. You don't have to go far. Open your Bible to the first page. Genesis 1.1. We see the Trinity at work creating the world. What's Genesis 1.1 say? In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We don't have to go far to see the Spirit at work in the Old Testament, do we? First page. The Spirit is there with the Father, with the Son. The Father creating through His words, the Son, and we have the Spirit hovering over this creation that is about to take shape. All three persons are working in this act of creation, and we see in this first verse of the Bible, and when we get to verse 27 in Genesis 1, this is why we see God say when He makes man, let us make man in our image, in our image. Holy Spirit's there. He's been there from all of eternity with the Father and the Son. We see examples in the Old Testament of the Spirit of the Lord coming upon people as God has chosen them to work, or chosen to work through them. Chosen to work through these men for specific tasks. Think of Joshua. Think of Joshua, Numbers 27, 18. It's recorded as this. It says, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom, the Spirit, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands on him. Joshua, the man who's to take over leading Israel for Moses when he dies. The Lord is telling Moses, my spirit, he is with him right now. In Samuel 23.2, David is there writing his final words at the end of 2 Samuel. And he says, the spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. David is a man at this point obviously who has fallen in sin but it's still a man that God said is a man after his own heart and is a man who um, penned many of the Psalms, a man who sat there and very clearly had the Holy Spirit with him, speaking through him to God's people for their encouragement and their building up. There are many more instances like this we could jump around to, but I think those two get the point across for us because both Joshua and David are told the Spirit is with them. And this is not just some kind of generic a spirit that's sent by God, but this is Holy Spirit. This is God, that third person of the Trinity that we see now in His fullness in the New Testament. Well, not His complete fullness. We won't see that ultimately until eternity, but 
We see more of His fullness now through the New Testament. We see Him present now with these people that God has used throughout history to bring salvation and to bring hope to His people. This is the Holy Spirit. Like we said, this is God coming up upon these men to empower them to do work that He has set aside for them to do. And God tells us, though, in the Old Testament that it's not going to be limited to certain men in the future. He's not going to only come upon certain people for certain times and certain things and certain places. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 27, God tells us that one day He's going to rescue Israel and He's going to bring about a time of great blessing for them. That there's going to be a time that we will see the Spirit be with the people like it was with Joshua and with David. Ezekiel 36, actually starting in verse 26, says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God's promise to Israel in Ezekiel is that He's going to take His Spirit and He's going to put it within His people to empower them to walk in His ways, to be obedient to the good commands of Yahweh. He's telling them here that God won't be far from man, that He's going to be with you, He's going to be ever-present in their lives, and He's going to bring power into the lives of, of mankind to do good things, that these old hearts of stone would never want to do on their own. The Holy Spirit is not a new concept that Christians came up with. The pieces of the puzzle have been there for us to see, but we lack the light to see how they all fit together, and we found that light to illuminate these truths of God's character and nature in the person of Jesus. And that's why we go ahead and look to John 16 right now. Go ahead and Take us to the next slide, Jerry. We look at John 16. We're going to see the words of Jesus as He illuminates uh, this third person of the Trinity. Jesus said this, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to Him who sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is here with his disciples in John 16, and he's been telling them of what's coming for the last three chapters. He's been telling them that he's going and he's leaving and he's going to die, and something's coming, and he's preparing them for it. And even though... Again, for three chapters he's been teaching like this, it still says that there's sorrow in their hearts, according to verse 6. Because Jesus told them that he's going away. He's leaving. It's probably something that confused that group, right? Because they're sitting there looking at Jesus, and they're saying, wait a second. You're the Messiah, right? What do you mean you're going away? How do you... What is that? You can't go away. even though they've heard these words that Jesus has taught these last three chapters. 
They've heard everything Jesus has said, that he's going to be leaving. He's going to be going away. He's going to his death once and for all as, a, as an atonement for sin. They're still expecting Jesus to sit there and say, all right, go get the white horse. Let's ride into, into Jerusalem and let's kick these Romans out of here. They're still waiting for him to say that. Even though he's told them exactly what's to come. That's why it probably is even more shocking as he sits there and he looks at them and he says, I'm going away, but it's going to be better for you. It's going to be better for you if I go away. Imagine if they were confused before, I'm sure there are plenty of puzzled looks on their faces in this moment too now, right? The disciples looking at Jesus thinking, but you're the Messiah. You're the one who's ruling on this throne of David forever, right? We've seen it. We've seen it evidenced in your lives. In your life, we've seen the evidence in your teaching. We've seen the power and the authority with which you speak. How is it better for us if you go away? You're supposed to save us, Jesus, not leave us. But it's better. Jesus tells us it's better. It's to the advantage of his disciples and by the extension to the church for Jesus to go. It's better for him to go to the cross to die. Why? Because when he does, he takes on the debt of sin and death on his own back to save us from our sin. That's better. That's better for us. We are clean and made new and made right before God because of what Jesus has done. That is better. Not only do we get that, not only do we get that blessing, not only is that better to see Jesus go and accomplish the work that he came to accomplish, but he tells us it's better because when he goes back to the Father, he's going to send someone. He's going to send this one that he calls the helper. So he's leaving, but he's not leaving us to our own devices, is he? He's going to send this one he calls the helper. And when he sends them, or when he sends him to the apostles, things are going to be better than they were before. Imagine that. They're going to be better uh, than, when the, uh, than when Jesus, the Son of God, walked the earth with them. It's going to be better than Jesus, this one who they confess as their Lord and their God, is gone from their midst. It's going to be better. When Jesus leaves, taking the image of the invisible God, taking him out of the world, back to rule on his throne in heaven until the day of judgment when he returns? He tells us he's sending one. And it's going to be better. When he's gone to his heavenly throne, the helper he sends will be free. will be free to cover the creation of God to the ends of the earth and beyond to present with all the people of the world, the gospel. To show all the people of the world who the one true living God is. The one God who can save. The one God who not only can kill the body, but can kill the soul. The one God who can rescue us from our greatest enemy, that is death. And the Holy Spirit comes to fill the earth, and that's better. It's better because we see a fulfillment of the promise we read in Ezekiel 36 just a minute ago. 
God is going to put His Spirit in us. That's the promise He made in Ezekiel. That's what we see now. Jesus tells us is about to happen as He's leaving to go to the cross and to ascend to heaven to His throne. God's Spirit is going to be put inside of His people. This is going to be like Jeremiah 31-33 where God says He's going to write the law of God on our hearts and He will be our God and we will be His people. This is better because Jesus was with us. He was walking amongst us. He did miracles and healings and teachings and He rose from the dead and He ascended to heaven and He amazed the people who were there with Him who confessed Him as Lord. But now... But at that time, Jesus was God in the flesh. And He was still fully God, but fully man. And being fully man, He's limited to where He can be. If He's at Faith Baptist Church on Sunday morning, He can't be down the street at the church down the street, can He? This is better, because God's Spirit now can fill the creation He can be with us wherever we're at. He can be here with Faith Baptist Church. He can be with the churches down the street, across the face of the globe, all of us coming together to worship our one God and that Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, so... Trying to get back in my notes here. Sorry about that. God is in us. And this, is, this is better. This is what we see in that first part of John uh, 16. God is with us. His Holy Spirit coming and being with us and dwelling inside of us is better, like Jesus says. Paul acknowledges this reality, I think, for us in 1 Corinthians 6. Here he's telling the Corinthians to flee from sexual immorality. And in verse 19, he says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is the reality of the life of a Christian, that once you are saved and you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you because He's convicted you of your sin and He's shown you the truth of your need for the righteousness of Jesus to be imputed to you as your own. And He continues to take that message and to propagate that good news of Jesus, that good news that the devil and death and hell have been defeated and that eternal life is something that can be gained, not by our works, not by endless toil to make ourselves right before God, not done in fear and with anxiety, always with a little bit of hope, but no true assurance of salvation. No, He is present, reminding us that the ruler of the world is or the ruler of this world has been judged, and that our King Jesus is one we can find assurance of eternal life in because He conquered death, He went to the cross, He rose again, and now He rules and reigns on His throne forever. And our King Jesus will not lose any that the Father has given to Him. That is what He promises here in His Word. That's what we see consistently throughout all of Scripture. I think this is the reason why the Bible calls him helper. Not only helper, but comforter. Because even though we no longer see our King Jesus walking on earth with us at this time in history, we have the Holy Spirit with us at all times and all places, reminding us of the promises of God, reminding us, 
reminding us of the goodness of God. Think about the disciples. When Jesus said, I'm leaving from you, and probably that, obviously that little bit of fear and sorrow that they said they felt, right? Because they had the presence of God with them for most of the day. You know, Jesus was human. He had to eat. He had to go to the bathroom. He had to do human things. So he disappeared from time to time, I'm sure, before them, didn't he? Right? It's not a picture I'm sure anybody imagined. Jesus going to the bathroom this morning. Um, that wasn't even in my notes, so I don't know why I said it. But the point being, there were times that Jesus' presence was not with the disciples. And they were afraid. And it scared them. And it made them sad to think about what they were going to be losing. But Jesus tells us that His Spirit, when He comes, is going to be that same presence. Because He is the same God. And He's not going to be needing to take care of human things. He's not going to have to go off to find food. He's not going to have to go off and sleep. He'll be with you, present inside of you, with that assurance of salvation forever. What kind of comfort is that? To go from sorrow, knowing that Jesus is no longer going to be with you now, this image of the invisible God, this presence of God with you, it's not going to be there anymore, but now you don't have to fear. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid on the boat when it's rocking around because Jesus is asleep in the bottom, right? You don't have to sit there and wonder if Jesus is going to show up because we know He's here in our midst, dwelling in us today. John 16, verse 13, Jesus says this. He says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We've hit those first two points, that God is in us and he's with us. We've hit that second point now where we've talked about the Holy Spirit being our helper and our comforter. We get to that third point now that He is going to guide us in all truth. The Holy Spirit, He says, will be our guide to all the things we know to be true about Yahweh and who He is. All the things that He has done for us, all the things about His righteous anger towards sin, all the things about His grace and His mercy... In all these things, the Holy Spirit brings us comfort and He helps us and He guides us to understand all the truth of who God is. I think there's an interesting bit of insight into the character of the Holy Spirit for us here in verses 13 to 15. As Jesus tells us, He's going to be guiding us into all the truth. He also says that He's not speaking on His own authority. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us what He hears. He's speaking to us the things of God's revelation. And when we see Him declare to us these things that are to come, these things that He declares are not new for us to try to noodle out and guess at what He's trying to say. The instruction of the Holy Spirit is revealing to us the truth about what God has revealed to us already. The Holy Spirit reveals these truths that exist in the Scripture for us. 
And he takes these things and he uses them to glorify Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is going to take this message of the gospel and he's going to declare it because it's the message that's been given to him from the Father and the Son to be told to the ends of the earth. This is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit working together in one accord with the Father giving to the Son the work to do, the Son accomplishing the work of the gospel, and the Father and the Son sending the Spirit to cover the earth, to take up residence in the lives of all those who believe, and to bring glory to the Son who has won our salvation for us. In this little bit of John 16, we see the Trinity working together in perfect harmony. We see each person with unique characteristics. We see each person working to see the story of salvation come to be. And we see this third person of the Trinity be given center stage by Jesus. But why does Jesus give the Holy Spirit here center stage? It's not to sit there and to proclaim the fame of Holy Spirit. It's not for the sake of something new. But He comes to dwell in God's people, writing the law in God's heart, bringing comfort of the gospel, while working to glorify King Jesus. That's the work the Holy Spirit does. When we think about Holy Spirit and we claim something is from Holy Spirit, we need to always ask, is this claim proclaiming the fame and the glory of our King Jesus? The Holy Spirit makes much of Jesus. This is why it says He convicts us of our sin, causes us to repent, to turn to God, causes, or leads us in sanctification. Sanctification is a, is a word that just means to grow in holiness, to grow in the goodness of Christ, to be more like Christ in the way that we live. And if we're looking for evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, we don't have to find it in some kind of supernatural gift like tongues or prophecy or some of the other things that get sold to us on TV, right? We can go ahead and click on the next slide too, Jerry. We're at that last little bit here. Oh, sorry. You can go back one. There we go. The effects of His work, right? Conviction, repentance, sanctification. This is the work of the Holy Spirit because this work brings glory to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. Amen? And if we're looking for that evidence of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to look to something that someone's trying to sell us on TV. No, let's look to God's Word and let's see what Paul describes the work of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5. Go ahead and flip to Galatians 5 with me in your Bible and let's go ahead and look at that together right now. Galatians 5 and verse 16. All right, got lots of Bibles turned. That's great. All right, verse 16, Paul writes this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. Now that the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, 
envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Walking by the Spirit, Paul tells us here, produces fruit. Fruit that looks different than the lives that we lived prior to coming to Christ. It's interesting, in Galatians 5, he lists off this uh, list of things that are contrary to the Spirit. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, and so on. And he says that those who do such things... That these are the things he says in there too, that the things that we want to do, the things that we need the Spirit to bring control of our body and our flesh and our souls. Boy, I lost that there. Yep, there it was in verse uh, 17, at the very end of 17. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's the Spirit working in us. Taking us from the things where I lose my patience with my kids. Where I walk in and I'm harsh with my wife. Where I sit there and I'm having to wrestle with images that are fed to me on computer screens or the TV screens or ads on the street. As I wrestle against lust and anger and pride, the Holy Spirit is at work in me, in my mind, taking us from being people who just indulge in everything this world says is worthwhile and instead producing fruit that is love, that's joy, that's peace. That's when I'm angry and I'm harsh with my wife or my kids. It's me coming back and saying, I love you. And I was wrong. I shouldn't have treated you like that. I need patience. I need forgiveness. It's me sitting there having self-control to sit there and turn off the screens when people try to feed images that would try to uh, raise lust inside my mind. It's me pursuing faithfulness in God's Word and prayer when really most days I'd rather just go home and play video games or something, right? It's the Holy Spirit working in me to sit there and give me a passion for the things of the Lord, to know Him more, to be more like Him, and to see the things that characterize Jesus and His life and His ministry flow out of me. Not to sit there and say, look God, look how good I am, I, I did it this week. But to sit there and say, man, what a joy it is to be like my Savior. How I get to bless my family, how I get to bless my church, how I get to bless my neighbors. What a joy that is. Walking by the Spirit, Paul tells us here, produces this fruit. And this fruit is not some crazy power to show off in front of crowds of people or on international television. You are walking with the Holy Spirit and He is present with you when you look at your life and you say, I hate my sin. I hate that I'm wrestling with this temptation. Lord, make me pure to never return to this sin like the dog returns to its vomit. We see this fruit in the life of believers. And Paul writes in verse 22, it produces love, joy, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Who wants those things? I want those things. Funny enough, it's uh, self-control and discipline. That's one of the reasons I went to the Marines. As an 18-year-old kid that was sitting there looking at my life and saying, I lack self-control and discipline. Fortunately, I didn't find it in the Marines. I think I was looking in the wrong spot. I needed to go to Paul in Galatians 5 to truly find that. Amen? This is the fruit that causes people to grow or this is the fruit He causes to grow inside of the lives of people who once were dead in their trespasses and sins. And He works to bring about this fruit to empower us to love and serve one another, to use these gifts of the Spirit. Because like the Spirit, and this is an element we get to be like the Spirit, we use these gifts to build each other up, not to build ourselves up, right? That's His work. The Holy Spirit's work is not to make Himself famous. It's to lift the name of Christ to the ends of the earth, to see people saved and brought back to the fold of God. We get to be like the Spirit when we use these gifts because these gifts are not just for us, but they're for the benefit of our families and our church and our neighbors and our cities and the face of the globe. These are the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, or there are spiritual gifts the Holy Spirit gives to believers. And it's true, there's a lot of things that we're kind of skipping over that we could go into. It'd be another uh, hour, and I'm already kind of pushing it now on time, so we're not going to hit all those things, right? This is us purely focusing in on who the Holy Spirit is and what He brings about in our lives, right? So we're not going to sit there and go into every list of every spiritual gift that uh, the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit brings to people. But I will say we do have to be cautious of what it is that we're believing, right? Because not everyone who comes along in the name of the Holy Spirit is actually coming in the name of the Holy Spirit. That's the second point right there as we look at the effects of His work. The Holy Spirit, He brings order, not chaos to things. There are lots of things that get said about the Holy Spirit, lots of crazy things we end up seeing on TV. An example of this is in 1994, there was an event that was called the Toronto Blessing. Some of you may have heard of this, some of you may not. But this was something that people called a revival. And that time, right, it, it went on, that continued worship services, continued meetings, continued for some time. I can't remember exactly how long right now. But in 2003, an article in a religion news service described that event of the Toronto Blessing like this. It said, 10 years ago next month, worshipers at a small church a stone's throw from the city's airport began laughing uncontrollably. They also made animal noises brain, barking, howling, and roaring. They collapsed on the floor, staggered about as if drunk, shook and jerked, wept, wailed, and yelped. Faces contorted with ticks, groans, and guffaws hung in the air. Bodies lay prone on the carpet. To the uninitiated, this was eerie stuff resembling mass hysteria more than religious worship. But to regulars at Toronto's Airport Vineyard Church, now the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, this was the work of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to stand here today and tell you without a doubt that that was not the work of the Holy Spirit. And I don't say that out of pride or arrogance or out of a certain doctrine or a certain belief, but I say that because it doesn't line up with what Scripture tells me is true about Holy Spirit and the work He does in our lives. We see from John 16 today that the work of the Holy Spirit 
is to convict sin to lead us to repentance. And if we look to the instruction of Paul, we see guidance that he gave to the Corinthian church as he was dealing with something that sounds kind of similar if you read all the background up to 1 Corinthians 14, right? He's addressing how the church in Corinth is using these spiritual gifts, these tongues and prophecy and and these other things, right? Toward the end of that instruction in verse 14, Paul writes this in verse 26. He says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or or an interpretation? Let all things be done for building up. If any speak a tongue, let there only be two or three at most, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So here you are, the church in Corinth at this early time where the Holy Spirit is pouring out these amazing gifts, right? Where people are truly speaking in tongues, the people are truly prophesying, and people are truly using these gifts to build the early church. And there's still chaos amongst them as they're dealing with it. So much so that Paul has to come and tell them, hey, y'all are acting crazy, all right? This is not what God wants in His church. God is a God, not a God of confusion, but of peace. And if everybody's just standing up and shaking and just saying a gobbledygook out of their mouths, that is not peace. That is not orderly worship. That is just trying to build some kind of emotional response in us. Right? That's not the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is to convict of sin, to point us to Jesus to empower us with these good gifts of self-control. Amen? So how do we know if something is from the Holy Spirit? Ask ask ourselves that question. Does this work testify of Christ, or is it new revelation? Speaking in tongues is not the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I know Pentecostal brothers and sisters would not be happy with me saying that. The baptism of the Spirit is not a separate action from coming to faith in Christ. These are are popular things that are on Christian television day in and day out. And you have to be alert and aware of those things when you hear them, right? The measure we have to look at and say, is the Holy Spirit at work in our lives? Is we have to ask ourselves, do we hate our sin? Do we have a desire to love Jesus and to be like Him more and more every day? Do we have a desire for Christ to be more and more precious to us every day? Are you seeing the old sinful things that used to control every thought and every step of your life fading? And now, instead of being controlled by sin, do you desire to be patient and kind and good and self-controlled in a desire to imitate your Savior? Let's recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives today, right? Those are amazing gifts. That's better, Paul tells us, than speaking in tongues in 1 Corinthians 13. You know the love chapter, the one everybody talks about at weddings, right? If you read the first few verses leading into the love part, where love is patient, love is kind, that's what Paul tells us. He says, even if I had all these manner of spiritual gifts, I've got nothing. I'm just a noisy gong if I don't have love. If I don't love, 
all of those spiritual things that I'm pursuing and I'm trying to say I'm holy and righteous because I'm speaking in tongues and I'm doing all these things, I've got nothing if I don't love. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. We see that in His Word, and it's amazing, and it's a better gift of Him working that in me. Taking me from being angry and mad and jealous and impatient and taking me and being someone that can bring peace and joy and happiness to our family. I didn't have a good life growing up, guys. You know, my life was loud. Our family was bad. Things blew up when I was 13. My parents divorced. Didn't see my dad for 25 years, right? Like, it's one of those kind of stories, right? It's one of those kind of stories. And my family was loud. It was always loud. There was no peace at home. And I was angry. I was mad. And I didn't treat my sisters kindly. But God got a hold of me. And that changed. And that's something I tell my kids day in and day out. Is guys, when I was a kid, things were chaotic. And I didn't like it. And I don't want us to yell at each other. I don't want things to be chaotic in our house. I want to teach you guys to love one another. Because that's the work the Holy Spirit did in me. And that's what I want to see in my house today too. Amen? All right, didn't mean to give you part of my testimony there, but there it was. Holy Spirit's working, right? Last thing, and we'll make this one quick. The last point there, God is with us. Find comfort right now because God is with us. We know He's working in us. We've seen our heart transformation and our hatred for our sin and our love to be more like Jesus now, right? And when you have that, know you are never alone He is always there with us. When you're lonely, when you're struggling with temptation, you are not alone. This world tries to separate and divide and to bring us into our own little little pieces, right? The Bible talks about that picture of being sheep who wander off that are devoured by the wolves, right? The world is trying to convince you that you're just a sheep lost and wandering by yourself and you need to be full of fear That's what the world is trying to tell us. But that's not the case. Holy Spirit is with you. If you are in Christ, you have repented of your sin, and you are saying, Lord, you are my treasure, the Holy Spirit is with you, and He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And even in the midst of the pit like Joseph was, amen, God is there with you all the way through to the end. I think this should bring great, I hope, Knowing this brings great comfort to us in our day, today, or our day. Knowing that God is there with us and He'll strengthen us, He'll never leave us. But we have to remember too that this gives us strength for the mission of God too. Matthew 28, verse 16, Jesus came to His disciples and said, it says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a group of men that when Jesus was captured, scattered, frightened, 
denying Him, denying ever knowing Him. That's the same group of men that stand before Him now in Matthew 28. And later in Acts 1, who we see Jesus tell them, wait here in Jerusalem because I'm sending Him to come and help you. And the same group of men who saw Jesus face to face and abandoned Him when He had been arrested, beaten, and executed, the same group of men had one come to them who would help them. We see Acts 1 say that it was like tongues of fire descending on them from heaven. This group of men that were scared, like little children running from something that they knew was way beyond their control, would be the same men that Jesus would send out into the world to write all that we have before us, to plant churches throughout the entirety of the Middle East, ultimately leading to us sitting here 2,000 years later. That was that group of men that were scared, frightened, running for their lives. What changed? Who was working in their lives that that group of scaredy cats, right, would go and say, God is with us, and we're going to go all the way to the ends of the earth? What changed in them? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now, and we praise you. Thank you so much, Lord, for not leaving us or forsaking us, but for giving us your Spirit. Father, there are still elements of this that is mysterious to us, Lord, but let us cling to your sure word and to what we know is true, and what an amazing gift that it is to know, Lord, that you have chosen to dwell inside of us, that you have made us temples for your Holy Spirit to dwell. Lord, let his work just uh, deal with us richly today so that, Lord, we would glorify and honor you, that we would love and serve our family and our neighbor, and that, God, we continue to conform our lives more and more to your Son, Jesus, Lord. Let the Holy Spirit work in us today for that end, Lord, so that you receive all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.